Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Um, good morning. I recognize most of your faces. I've seen a lot of you um, commenting on our Facebook or here on the patio, and it's been so awesome to see you here in person, to feel the weight of your fist bump as we socially, distancely love each other. But um, we are a community learning to live in love like Jesus. We talk about that a lot. We say that a lot. The way we do that is through a slow, grounded, and generous life. Uh, Nora, at a meeting we had, brought some new vision language that's so connected with everybody, and we want to ingrain that into who we are, and it's that we, at LBCF, we are a community committed to a widening table. Not just a wide table where we know where it starts and ends, but one that extends beyond that, a table wider than any of our imaginations, and that our imaginations as God's people would be constantly surrendered to, shaped by, and expanded in Christ. My name's Ryan. I am the teaching pastor here. Uh, I began here, I was, I was reminded by my wife last night that um, because it was the anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting, we started at LBCF the following Sunday. So today is my like five-year anniversary of being at LBCF, which is awesome. Um, And I am blessed to be a part of a teaching team as well. So if you are new to the community or if you're wondering why we have so many alternating people up here on the teaching team, it's that there's been this sense in church that that um, even though we might not be a Catholic church in many Protestant evangelical churches, they still sort of have a pope, right? They have one person who they trust to hear the word through. And we believe at LBCF that we are a priesthood of all believers, that you bring the spirit with you, that you hold the ability to bring some truth, some conviction and passion that we need as God's body. And one of the ways we do that is we spread out that leadership. And so I'm really proud that at LBCF, we have a teaching team. We have people who are passionate, people who are history teachers like Rob Smith, people who are coaches and leaders like Steve Thomas, people who love community like Barb, that we have a teaching team. And so if you have a passion in teaching, I would love to talk to you about that because we are always looking to add people as well. Uh, We're in a teaching series right now called What Are We Saying?, And one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up is because in the Christian life, so much of what we do is say things. We talk a lot. And I think that that if we we don't ever step back and think about if you had to explain that to a 10-year-old kid, could you even do that? Could you explain what you mean by the things that you say in your faith? And I want to make sure that as a community, we have a good understanding that at least when you hear people in leadership, people in teaching roles say these things, that you know what we mean by them. And last week, we, used, we uh, talked about the word Christian and how wide and a big word that is. 
and how our response, hopefully if somebody asks you or asks me, I can just say for myself, if somebody asks me if I'm a Christian, I can respond, I'm trying. Not a yes or a no, but I'm moving towards Christ. That's what a Christian is, is a person who's formed into the image of Christ and moving towards that at all times. It's not a statement of arrival, it's a statement of direction. So this week, we're going to be talking about the word ambassador. And I, um, I've been loving that uh, on our LBCF Facebook page, I've been posting, and a lot of you have been replying to that. And honestly, that's one of the most helpful ways for me as a teacher to know where we're at as a community with the words we say is because when I am approaching how to prepare for these things, to know that we are already on such a similar page about these words is such an encouraging thing for me. So here are some of the responses that came up. Um, How unbelievably good God is that he invites each of us and every one of us to come with our own baggage and slip-ups and bring his kingdom to the places we live, work, and play. How amazing that our stories never disqualify us. Instead, they become just another way to sing of his grace. That's one of them. Let's look at another one. Like, ambassador makes me think of the word welcome. How am I welcoming others into my life, into the life of following Jesus? I think we are called to love everyone and be a welcoming space. Seeing my neighbors as a gift, letting them know it, being kind, hospitable, and being willing to ask for help. I've asked for things like lemons, eggs, tables, and chairs, trying to be my authentic self so that others feel that they can be the same with me. These are some of the responses that came from you guys. And so as we post these things, I encourage you, leave responses, because these are the things that also show us that as many ways that we might not feel like we're super connected all the time, that our hearts might beat the same as the people in our community. And so today, let's talk about this. Let's talk about ambassador. What does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it mean to be a neighbor? And are we like Christ when we do the inner work of faith or when we do the outer work? And one of the grounding questions that we use in this community to center our hearts around this question is, How is it going loving those God has given you to love? Uh, uh, Chloe, can you bring up the Good Samaritan story? Because I want to reread this one more time. Let's start at the beginning. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I want to pause right there because what we need to understand is that this is not a question, and in the first century Jewish mind, eternal life did not mean life after you died. He's asking the question, how do I have a good full life now? How do I inherit this eternal kind of holy life now? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So in good rabbinical fashion, Rather than answering the question, answer the question with a question. And this is a very common way that they would talk at this time. The lawyer knew that, and so he enters into this very common way of talking. And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now, one of the things that you clue us in is that if, that if that's what the story was all about, if there was nothing more happening here, the story would end right there, right? Lawyer asks a question, Jesus answers the question with a question, the lawyer responds to that question, and Jesus goes, yeah, that's, that's great, do that. But we should be tuning in right now, our ears should be perked up that there's more happening here, because Jesus continues, and the man continues, and he says, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling them, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked, who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And a modern day equivalent of this, uh, my family and I were just traveling to San Francisco. And so a modern day equivalent would be like this. There was a man who had a very valuable car with a lot of valuable things in it who parked his car um, in downtown San Francisco and left it unlocked. And all of his stuff got stolen. The first thing you would say is, yeah, there are signs everywhere in San Francisco that say people will steal stuff from your car. Like there are signs that straight up say people steal things from your car here. Don't leave it unlocked. That would have been the same feeling that you would have got hearing this story because the road from Jerusalem to, from Jericho to Jerusalem was known for people beating people up and stealing their things. People didn't travel by themselves. So a person who traveled by themselves and got beat up, everybody hearing this would have gone, yeah, don't be stupid. Like, don't do that. Don't go on that road by yourself. That person's to blame. Why should we help them? There's a lot of different elements in which Jesus paints a story in which you have a lot of justification to not care for people. It's they're at fault. Or you might have religious reasons why you don't help and care for people. Maybe you've been trained in a certain way. Jesus even says in this story, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. The problem with that is that that's not written anywhere in the Old Testament. Well, I went and looked, and I started to read about this. I'm like, why would Jesus say you've heard it said? There's a written law, and there's an oral law. And the oral law was a translation, was an interpretation of this law that people would pass down from generation to Generation. That's why he didn't say, you've, seen, you've heard it is written. He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That over time, 
we've learned to take care of ours, but not others. Regardless of what's written, regardless of what we know to be true about Jesus, we've heard it said, take care of America at all costs. Take care of your family. Take care of yours at all costs, even if it means hurting other people. I've heard it said that. It gets really personal really quick. So when we start talking about what does it mean to be an ambassador, what does it mean to be somebody called by a higher allegiance than where we live, than by taking care of your own what does it mean to be an ambassador? And, and very, I grew up where an ambassador, the scripture that I heard was the Great Commission. How many others of you in here heard that when you go out, that is the way we live? The Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That was the guiding text, right? And it seems like there's actually some tension between, okay, are we called to be people of the Great Commission or people like the Good Samaritan? Where do, how do we live out in the world? And I was listening to a podcast this week, and there's uh, Tim Gombas said this, and I, I'd have to bring it into the room. He said, if you were interested in obeying the Great Commission in Matthew 28, making a convert would be your worst nightmare. I'm going to repeat that, and it takes some explaining because it's not very obvious what he means on the face of it. But he said, if you were interested in obeying that passage, just making converts would be your worst nightmare. The, what he's saying by that is, is that what we're called to do in the Great Commission has very little to do, or it's at least step one of a thousand steps to bring people. But when we make disciples... That's linking arms with somebody and walking through them through their hardest stuff. That's linking arms with people. So if you brought, if, if, if it was true what, what would happen, like an acquire the fire event and how many people raised their hands and all of a sudden, yeah, there were 300,000 people that came to the Lord that day. And my thought would be, okay, who's following up with those people? Who's walking with them? Who's going with them? Who's doing, who's helping make disciples out of these people. We are called to make disciples. That's true. And the spoiler alert, which uh, is a note on page three, is that the Good Samaritan kind of sacrificial love is the way we walk out the Great Commission. The Good Samaritan is walking out the Great Commission. So, uh, one day I was driving home to Bishop, where I grew up, and I was filling up gas in Mojave, and I saw a homeless man there, and, um, and it, for, I'm, this isn't something that I always do, so it felt strange that I felt compelled to it, but I got out of my car, and I asked him, what does he need? He didn't need food or money. He actually needed a ride to Barstow. So he was a hitchhiker, too, and I was like, uh, okay, hop in. And I, I'm not condoning pitching, picking up hitchhikers, uh, but I, this was before I was married or I had kids, and I guess I just thought less about the risks of life. But uh, I picked him up, and we drove to Barstow, and it was, it was great. But I had to be willing to ask him what he 
needed and I had to have a willingness to respond to an answer. And so often when we are thinking about how to care for people, the way that we retreat is by not asking. Or the way that we retreat is by deciding what these people need ahead of time without ever talking. Or we decide the way that the Good Samaritan story would have to the original audience, we would have decided they got themselves into that problem, not my problem, not my issue. There's justified reasons why we don't show love to people. We've got our reasons. Um, And I, just to make sure that I... is a front. I'm not good at this. I'm, that's a very rare example of a time where I feel like I actually got to enjoy the fruit of what it means to step into caring for people where they're at, and as tough and complicated as that can be. And I remember after I dropped him off, I felt God's pleasure in the fact that I got to show up for someone else, even though it took me out of my way and added about two and a half hours to my trip, and it was inconvenient, and it was sometimes kind of scary, but I got to hear his story, and there was goodness in it, but I'm not good at this. I still, in the home where I'm at, am constantly scratching my head wondering, how am I going to get to know my neighbors that live to my right and to my left? I know what they look like. I know a little bit about them, and the reason I know even the tiniest amount about any of them is because they approached me when I was outside uh, preparing to seed my lawn, and I spent a long time doing that, and so they came up to me and said hi, and they introduced themselves, welcomed me to the neighborhood, but they came up to me. I wish that I knew or that I was paying close enough attention in those moments of how to love my actual neighbors, because when it comes to being in ambassador, sometimes it's easy. It feels easier to do the things like pick up the hitchhiker. And the reason it feels easier is because I get to drop the hitchhiker off. My work is done. I don't have to do anymore. Like, I've done my good deed. And when it comes to caring for those who are in our community at LBCF, when it comes to caring for those that you live near, when it comes to caring for your neighbors, That is a lot harder work because they're still there. Sometimes it's kind of like showing patience and love to other people's children. Like, when it comes to showing love and patience to my own kids, it's like, it takes work and I'm bad at that. But when it comes to, like, if a parent comes in and they bring their crazy crying children, I'm like, I can be the hero here. Show them, like, patience and love. And then I get to go. You get to go home with your parents. Not my problem. And how do we show love to other people when our culture, our value, so much points to one of the greatest things is when people are just leaving me alone. No one's asking me things. No one's telling me things. I'm like, I, there's a value that we have massaged into our very being of how just approaching other people can be tricky because we don't want to bother other people, and we live, especially in California, in this place where everybody's kind of feeling each other out all the time, of like, do you need something? Do you want something? Why are you talking to me? I'm hesitant to even open my door when a person knocks on my door, because I'm like, I don't even want to get into a 20-second conversation with these people, because all I'm, 
I'm, I interrupt people and I go, no, 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 I'm not interested. Whatever you're selling, I guarantee. But there's a value that we have as a culture to just leave people alone. And how do we be ambassadors in a culture like that? I want to read a couple of texts before we get to that answer because I believe Scripture really points out for us some really potent things about what it means to be ambassadors of the name of Christ in our world. This is Ezekiel 16. Now this, okay, I'm going to pause because this is like heavy. Every time I read this, I'm like, yeah, this is intense. So just take a breath. But this is, this is big. It says, now this was the sin of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. Overfed and unconcerned is how I would describe myself a lot. And I don't want to be that way. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. Samaria did not commit half the sins you did. You have done more detestable things than they and have made your sister seem righteous by all the things you've done. How we welcome, how we welcome other people is a part of our ambassadorship. Just why when I hear things like the current administration say to people who are seeking refuge, don't come, it breaks my heart. I hope the church is prepared to have a better answer than that for people who are seeking refuge. How we welcome is a part of who we are as ambassadors. Jesus said he would leave the 99 to go after the one. So it's not just about how we welcome. It's also about how we go after and pursue as a part of our ambassadorship. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, to each, but each of you to the interests of others. How we hold up the needs of others is a part of our ambassadorship. How we welcome, how we pursue, and how we hold up the needs of others. Uh, Chloe, can we go back to the first text, the first slide of the Good Samaritan? So the expert wanted to test Jesus. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And then we fast forward that. And we think it's his question that he says is, who is my neighbor? It echoes, and it sounds a lot like something we heard way back in Genesis of the sin of Cain and Abel, where he says, where is your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? It sounds a lot like that because the real meaning of this question is not, okay, point out who I need to love. It's let's carve out who I need to love so that I can know who I don't have to. Tell me who I need to love so that I can know who I can ignore. It's saying, who do I need to not love? My brother is not my problem. That guy on the road, he's at fault. 
and I'm a religious man. I'm told that I should not touch this man because he might be dead and that would make me ritually unclean. I've got my religious reasons why I don't touch that person in need. So not only are they at fault, I'm trying to remain holy in this. Now, the hero of this story, Jesus, is very intentional about making the hero of this story. Did you hear what we heard in Ezekiel? Samaria did not commit half the sins you did. When we're talking about uh, comparing awful people with good people, Samaria and Samaritans often fill the role of the awful people. Let's go to the last slide here in Luke. When Jesus said, who was the neighbor? The man, the lawyer here responds, he can't even say Samaritans. He's so disgusted. The one who showed him mercy. He can't even say his name. That's how out of the question it would have been that the hero in the story was a Samaritan. So, Scripture makes it clear over and over and over again. You can't avoid it. The written law is clear. Even if the oral law, what you've heard taught to you about who your neighbor is and who you're called to take care of, the written law, the, what we have in the text, what we have in the Bible is clear. Who is our neighbor? It's everybody that shares this planet with us. And that's hard to get our minds around. And it should break our hearts when the country we are a part of drops bombs on nations and children. That should be way harder for us to swallow. Those are our neighbors. There's a South African concept called Ubuntu, and it says, I am because we are. This has to start with the fundamental belief that our brothers and sisters in our communities, the ones that actually live next to us, but also our brothers and sisters overseas are our problem. Because as long as hurting people aren't our problem, we'll find a thousand reasons, whether it is their fault, whether you have your reasons, there's a thousand ways that we step aside on the other side of the road and walk past. There's plenty of reasons to do that, and Jesus knew that. But he said the neighborly person was one you're disgusted with that walked with that person. If anybody has flown in a plane, they know that a crying baby is not just that baby's problem. A crying baby is the whole plane's problem. I am upset because the baby is upset. If we comfort the baby, we all get to be comfortable. There are strangers that will give babies as whatever they want on a plane just to keep them quiet. That is the simplest way that I understand this term Ubuntu. I am because we are. As long as you're flourishing and your joy and your pain and the things that are coming up in your life 
are not my problem, we are not going to get to the point where we are good neighbors with each other. As long as we are unaffected by other people, not just in their pain, but in their joy as well. There are people right now who want somebody to celebrate with, and they can't find anybody because there's so much stress and anxiety, and it's kind of like, who are the people that I'll invite over to my house because good things are happening, that will sing joy with me? We have to allow the good things to affect us in other people's life as well. Scripture calls us to mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. It's saying that we are, we, it, is, it is a necessity for us to be impacted by what's going on in each other's lives. Our ability to show mercy is our ability to shift our view as being separate as to being connected. Like I said at the beginning of this, the, the good Samaritan kind of neighborly love is the Great Commission in action. So if you want to walk with somebody, bring them to Christ, if you think that a transformed life uh, where Jesus is opening up people's eyes and ears, if, if that's something that you're passionate about for people, the Good Samaritan kind of neighborly love is the way that we make that happen. And then the question comes up, okay, we can do that for one person, but what if there's two people? What if this Good Samaritan story would have been two people or ten people or a hundred people? Or what if, what if, how do we hold it when there are more people to help than any one of us could possibly help? Do we go back and save them all? Because that's, that's what comes up for a lot of us. We are taught that we, that you in that action are the Savior. That you're the person that's called to go do all this work. I want to free all of us up and say we aren't the saviors of these people. The people that I walk with, the people that I've chosen to allow into my life, I'm not the Savior. I don't save anybody. I also don't build the church. Jesus does that. We're called to walk with each other, to enjoy each other, to agree with each other. Free yourself from the anxiety that says it's all on you to do all of this. And this story in particular um, seems like it falls into the category often of helping the homeless or helping people in need, or, or it's a story about roadside help, like if you see someone hurting Need, uh, help them, and it could be that. But I want us all to stop because one of the guiding questions that we have about being ambassadors out there in the world is, how is it going loving those God has given you to love? So let's stop and think. Who's in your path? Who's on your heart? Who do you think about? Who are those one or two Families that have trusted you enough to welcome you into that next layer of intimacy. There might be people in place that we just don't realize that that is who God has put in your path to show this kind of neighborly, good Samaritan kind of love too. Maybe who's approached you while you've been doing yard work at your house? Who's approached you and you just kind of Shrugged it off. Maybe 
God was trying to do something more there. Are we tuned in enough to see that those common interactions might actually be the pathway to being ambassadors, to walking out this great commission, this good Samaritan sort of self-sacrificial, countercultural love that says, I will walk with you over and against my reputation. I'll walk with you over and against my convenience. I will walk with you when it costs me something. There's very few times where real love has ever happened in my life where it hasn't costed me a lot. Whether it's my kids or my wife, my family, anybody that I've tried to love in a real way, it's cost me something. But I've gained more because of it. So, the stress here comes up and, okay, are we called to everybody? No, we are called to anybody. Because if you feel like you're called to everyone, you'll constantly panic about what's not happening. I want us to reshape the way that we posture ourselves to being welcoming and willing to do that for anybody. We are not called to everybody. We are called to anybody. There's a quote I heard that says, do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. And that has been one of the more helpful ways that I've learned how to walk out my ambassadorship in the kingdom. Is that I know that I can't live this kind of way out with everybody. But I can pick one person. I can pick a couple people. I can pick certain amounts of families where I will allow them to have keys to my house. Where I will allow them to watch my kids where I would trust them with everything. I know that we can't do that for everybody, but I believe that if we pause long enough and said, God, who are those people for me that you want me to live this way out among them? Uh, I've got a couple of friends that, um, one, I don't believe that they have any interest in ever coming to church. They've never expressed like, hey, maybe I could come check out what you're up to. They straight up told me, we are not interested in Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you've made that really clear. They are very morally different than I am, than my family is. But I am so blessed that they are my people. Because God put them in my path to love them regardless of any sort of outcome. I have no clue if the work that I'm up to, if the prayers that I prayed for them, if all of the times that I thought, oh my gosh, I believe that they would be such powerful representatives for the kingdom, and I've hoped and I've longed, and they've straight up told me like, yeah, that Bible is full of contradictions and violence and hatred, and we're not interested. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, they know that I'm a pastor. They know what I do. But I, in the same way, I've welcomed them in, and they are part of my family. I'm called to love them regardless, because God has put them in my path. And so how are we loving those God has given us to love beyond our cultural, religious, reasonable, or inconvenient reasons that keep us apart? This is a daily call. This is why I love being here at church with all of you because this is not the place where, where we walk it out, right? This is the place where we gather 
together and we sing and we encourage and we lament and we celebrate because the real work happens when we leave. The real work happens when we go to those people that God's given us to love and we are ambassadors and we go out. That's where it gets really tough and we need these spaces. I love having Jason sing every time I come into this room when he was sound checking this morning, I was like, oh my gosh, there's something so familiar and healing for me to hear his voice coming through those speakers. So much of that was just, this can be a place where we come and we hold each other and we heal with each other. Because being an ambassador needs this space where we come and we recharge and we encourage and we go again. Today, you might be called on to to drive somebody to Barstow. Tomorrow, you might be asked to cook a meal, but another time, they might be sharing with you that somebody close to them has passed, and they need somebody to hold them and to be with them in these powerful but lonely places, and you will have built a relationship that is able to walk with them when they are beat up on the side of the road and every other religious person is passing them by. Can we form ourselves in such ways that we say, yes, I'll be there in your pain. I'll be there for the inconvenient, annoying ways that being a neighbor to people, I will try my best to be paying attention to tune my eyes in to what God has me to do. And there's a freedom as we tune into that spirit. We encourage each other in that kind of love because that's really the only kind of church I'm interested in being a part of. Because if it's all us coming here, patting each other on a back and we leave, and it never finds its way into where we work, where we live, where we play, if it never works its way out there, what good is it? I would rather be at the beach if that's all it is. is us, I would rather pop in a podcast in my ears and go walk at a place that's comfortable for me. I'd rather wake up at 10 o'clock on Sundays. There's a lot of other things. This is a powerful place where we are together to encourage each other to go out because the love of Christ in that sort of Good Samaritan way transforms the world. Not just us. It's good for everybody. It's a better world when we live that way. Whether people believe it or not, it's good for them too. The friends who I've welcomed in that say, I don't, I'm not interested in Christ have told me many times that they feel comfortable in my home even though their whole life has been people judging them. They feel comfortable in my home. That's good enough for me. So there's a freedom to living this kind of way where the, it's beautiful and it's free-forming and moving. And I'm going to show a clip now that I've shown before um, I believe this is a visual picture. This is called a murmuration. And if you've been here since before, I think I showed this in like 2019, but this is a view, and I will explain it a bit ahead of time. These birds are able to respond and move with each other 10 times quicker the closer they are. And they're not forming any sort of pre-prescribed pattern. But they're just responding to each other and the wind. And I believe that this image of how free form and moving uh, way of 
being is something that I hope for for the church because it's the intimacy that we have with each other that allows that. The, the closer we are, the more we're, we're able to respond and move with each other. So let's watch that video really quick and then I will close this out. I wonder what the church would be like if we moved out into the world where it says in the Bible that his spirit is like the wind, right? What if we were so committed to being close with each other in a way that allowed us to move 10 times faster than we do when we are apart? I wish so much the church looked like this and not walls and arguments and tossing grenades to people that we think are, don't think the way that we think, and we just fight with each other all the time. And my hope is that we would be able to be close and intimate with each other so that we could respond to the movement of the Spirit in the world that needs to know, does this make a difference? That's our ambassador calling, that when we leave here, when we leave here, that we are willing to be good Samaritans, that we are open to that for anybody knowing that our neighbor is our problem. Let's pray, and then I will invite Barb up for communion. Lord, would you humble us? Would you show us the ways in which we have made being an ambassador for your name to mean a right set of arguments, a right set of anything. Lord, would we 
would we open our hearts to be willing to be inconvenienced over and against our our reasonable reasons or our justifications of why we don't know our neighbors, Lord. But the people look at the church and see you so infused that we actually value something higher than just not getting in anybody's way, Lord, that we would be the the persistent ones that ask people how they are, that we would follow up, that we would be the ones that visit the imprisoned, that go to the people in the hospitals, or those people who are the most forgotten about people, Lord, would, would your church be known for going into those places, even those we despise, Lord, that, that absolutely countercultural, transformative, wild teaching that we are called to love those who we despise, our enemies, Lord. Shape us to be those kinds of people. Lord, would you forgive us for all the ways that we have just bought in to the way that we have turned it into a tribal protectivism where we've only taken care of our own or we have decided who is in and who is out so that we can decide who not to love. Forgive us, Lord. Have mercy on us. We have done your name a disservice. Lord, would you shape us in a new way Lord, would the seeds that we picked up today, would they be planted? And as they grow up, would they be a reminder of, of a new way of being in our neighborhoods in Long Beach? Would, would people know that, that we would go with them in the midst of their real life happening? Shape us and form us today, Lord. Help us to hear your spirit to respond in your name.